You're listening to Yap, Young and Profiting Podcast, where anything goes if it makes you grow. I'm Halataha, and we're about to explore one of the most innovative and era-defining discoveries of the past century, cryptocurrency. This new way of storing value has entered mainstream adoption, and so we've got to understand it to make the right decisions for our future. Episode two, we're yapping about the internet of value. For the first time ever in the history of the world, we're creating this internet of value whereby without any bank, government, or institution in the middle, I can exchange value with you. So Bitcoin itself, it doesn't start until January 3rd, 2009. By 2010, 11, there's some level of traction. By 2012, People are really excited about this technology. Satoshi Nakamoto wrote a technical white paper that really set the foundation of how the Bitcoin blockchain works. And at some point, he disappeared off the face of the internet of the earth, and nobody knows who that person is. And then fast forward to 2015 and 16, the white paper for Ethereum is written. And I'll end with December 2017, Bitcoin, which was once uh, trading well under a penny, it hits its all-time high of nearly $20,000. Bitcoin is the sixth largest currency in the world out of nearly 300 countries. And so it's this weird new asset. But for all intents and purposes, it is working. And as a result, when people saw that it was working over the past few years, more and more other cryptocurrencies, other blockchains and other tokens such as Ethereum have been created. So if you take away Bitcoin tomorrow morning, obviously it would hurt the blockchain, but it would not make this financial genie, this thing that everybody is calling the internet of money or the internet of value, it would not make that go away because the idea of this digital currency that is not issued by a central authority, a government, uh, a bank, is so powerful that the people have voted you know, with their wallets, with their time, with their resources, that this is a thing that people want. Full disclosure, I'm fairly new to cryptocurrency. In fact, I'll be new to most topics we tackle on this show. That's the point. We grow and learn together. So to get a better grip on cryptocurrency, I did a ton of research and studying myself, and I also interviewed several influencers, including CEO of Wealth Chain and cryptocurrency evangelist, Philip Nunn. I'm arguably Europe's biggest cryptocurrency influencer. I have a large online network, um, over 300,000 followers on different social platforms. So I come from a financial markets background, and uh, I'm absolutely blockchain and crypto obsessed. I also spoke with Ohad Flinker. I'm a marketing strategist, and I am currently focused on cryptocurrency and tokenization strategies. Ed Lehner. I'm a full-time faculty member within the City University of New York uh, University System, and I've been researching cryptocurrencies for over four years. And Paul Savchuk and Tim Malinik, the 26-year-old Ukrainian founders of Cryptocurrency Capital, LLC. Hi, everyone. My name is Paul Savchuk. I am a CEO of Cryptocurrency Capital. And yeah, just with me, Tim. Yes, hello, guys. My name is Timothy. I'm CFO and co-founder of Cryptocurrency Capital. We're a management company for a crypto hedge fund. 
With cryptocurrency, I think it's important to get a good history lesson before diving into the technology, the market, and all the specifics. We've got to understand the context, the environment, what led us here, and why people accepted this new technology in their lives in the first place. If you actually think about globalization and how the world's become smaller, there's only really been two things that have impacted that in the last, and they've both happened in the last sort of 30 years. The first was the advent of the internet for me. Um, you know, when you, if you remember the first sort of intranets and, and the internet, people were sort of laughing at it and saying it would never have uh, any impact or take on. And what the internet's done is given us this freedom and ability to exchange information freely with each other and instantly. And the second one was then the smartphone. The smartphones had more of a profound effect in terms of a raw mobile and we can sort of track where we are and what we're doing. And it's a, it's a huge thing. And the third one, which is this new wave that's come along, is blockchain technology and cryptocurrency. And what this really means is for the first time ever in the history of the world, we're creating this internet of value whereby without any bank, government or institution in the middle, I can exchange value with you. So we would be able to exchange value with no middleman, no intermediary, and within seconds from the UK to New York. And it's really quite exciting. Because money started out as a store of value that was coupled to a commodity like gold or silver. And in 1971, Richard Nixon decoupled the US dollar from the value of gold, creating a fiat currency or value by decree just because, you know, the king or the government said so. And that worked okay pretty much until people felt like they lost trust in 2008. And we trust a very small group of companies and government agencies to manage our value in the world. And that usually works until it doesn't, like in the financial crisis of 2008. And what happened very soon afterwards in 2009 is that a very small group of tech geeks ran this social experiment. Let's create our own ledger. And instead of a bank or a government agency being an organization of trust to manage that value, we'll have the crowd manage that value. And more and more people over the past decade have poured their time and resources into the Bitcoin blockchain. And it was the first real use case or proof that the blockchain can actually work. In my mind, you know, people who've been in that space for a long time have been sitting on this technology and waiting for the opportune moment. Because while the economic times were good and we were thriving and everything was good, if Bitcoin would have come along, you'd have just been laughed, laughed away as quick as it came along. But actually when people have had enough of the banking system collapsing, government bailouts, quantitative easing, you know, if you look at countries like Cyprus, Portugal, Greece, Italy, Ireland, Argentina, Zimbabwe, I'll keep naming that we've got a massive economic crisis and uh, people are looking for another way and another solution. So this is why it had the maximum impact. And it's here to stay, you know, it's not going to go anywhere. And why does it work? Because enough people agree that it's a store of value. And part of the reason it's such a polarizing issue is because the idea behind Bitcoin is a little bit subversive because the definition of money is currency issued by a government and there is no government that issues Bitcoin. 
Okay, this is a really important point. Bitcoin is not backed by the government. In fact, we don't know who's behind the world's most valued cryptocurrency. It was founded by an unknown person or group named Satoshi Nakamoto, and everyone has their own version of who or exactly what that is. Let's spend a few minutes on the history of cryptocurrencies. Can you talk about Satoshi Nakamoto and his contribution to Bitcoin? Sure. So Satoshi Nakamoto was part of this well-known cryptography uh, email list. And they had these forms in roughly, I think it was Halloween 2008. He released this white paper. I've come up with this concept for digital peer-to-peer cash. Satoshi Nakamoto's now legendary technical and marketing research paper or white paper is called Bitcoin, a peer-to-peer electronic cash system. Yeah, so I think part of the appeal of the story of Bitcoin is the mystery because the blockchain and specifically the Bitcoin blockchain came onto the scene about a year after the financial crisis of 2008. And somebody or something or someone's, you know, plural, by the name of Satoshi Nakamoto, wrote a technical white paper that really set the foundation of how the Bitcoin blockchain works. And that was essentially an idea released into the community. And Satoshi Nakamoto was active promoting this white paper and these ideas together with a large community of other enthusiasts. And at some point, he disappeared off the face of the internet of the earth and nobody knows who that person is. And different people surmise that it's probably not one person, it's probably a group of people. And there is no one person you can attribute the idea of Bitcoin to. And part of the mystery here is that that first Genesis block that Satoshi Nakamoto mined is worth over a billion dollars. According to internet gossip, Nakamoto was the sole Bitcoin miner for the first 10 days of Bitcoin's existence and owns around 1 million original Bitcoins or Satoshi coins, which is currently worth over $7.5 billion at the time of this recording. Really sort of the history of obviously the Satoshi Nakamoto in the, the Bitcoin white paper. I think personally in 2009, that when that was released, whoever release that and whoever they were, people speculate. Obviously, there's a very large Bitcoin wallet that's not been touched since that point that's going up in value. And I think if Bitcoin ever hits 100,000, the person who owns that wallet will be the first trillionaire on the planet. Quite a, a large amount of Bitcoin. And what people are curious about, worried about, anxious about is what happens when that Genesis block suddenly you know, comes to life and somebody says, hey, I'm Satoshi and I will now command that value of billions of dollars in Bitcoin. And that, you know, that excites some people, it scares other people. And it's part of what keeps the mystery, the enthusiasm around Bitcoin alive. There is no open answer. We know there are a few people claim that there are real Satoshi Nakamoto with some intention, maybe good, maybe bad. But the thing is that Satoshi is kind of a, a mysterious person. You can say the guy from 
different dimension who gave us this kind of, of, of technology everyone is talking about at this moment of time. Somebody thinks that Satoshi is Elon Musk, you know, that Elon <laughs> Musk created BDC, you know, to save us all, blah, blah, blah. Well, I know who uh, they, well, no, I don't, I'm joking. Well, maybe I do. Um, look, distributed ledger technology is not a new thing at all. It's something that's been in concept and around since 1991. And all the blockchain really is, it's an amalgamation of probably seven or eight different pieces of technology that are all mashed together to create sort of the secret source, if you like. So Bitcoin itself, it doesn't start until January 3rd, 2009. That's when they actually start hashing blocks. And the very first block is called the Genesis block. Now, what happens after Bitcoin is released is computers all over the world start to hash it. It's a very slow and small project. By 2010, 11, there's some level of traction. By 2012, people are really excited about this technology and more and more people are uh, you know, involved in the cryptocurrency space. But one needs to know that at the same time, a number of altcoins are being developed. So an altcoin and an alternative coin is something that uses Satoshi Nakamoto's technology um, noting that Nakamoto released this paper in open source so anyone in the world can copy Bitcoin if they wanted to. And so that's exactly what people did in the development of these altcoins. And then fast forward to 2015 and 16, the white paper for Ethereum is written. And I guess I'll end with December 2017, Bitcoin, which was once uh, trading well under a penny, hits its all-time high of nearly $20,000. And so it's this weird new asset. But for all intents and purposes, it is working. And as a result, when people saw that it was working over the past few years, more and more other cryptocurrencies, other blockchains and other tokens or uh, units of value that are coupled to a specific blockchains such as Ethereum have been created. So if you take away Bitcoin tomorrow morning, obviously it would hurt the blockchain, but it would not make this financial genie, this thing that everybody is calling the internet of money or the internet of value, it would not make that go away because the idea of this digital currency that is not issued by a central authority, a government, uh, a bank is so powerful that the people have voted, you know, with their wallets, with their time, with their resources, that this is a thing that people want. All right. So fast forward to 2018. Bitcoin or BTC was announced almost 10 years ago, trading on the exchanges by 2010 with its highest price that year at just 39 cents. To put that in perspective, Bitcoin is currently priced a little under $7,500 with 17 million Bitcoin currently in circulation, making it roughly a $127 billion market cap. Since BTC launched, more and more cryptocurrencies have emerged on the scene. And today there's about 16 1,500 altcoins currently in circulation. Get familiar with names like Ethereum, Ripple, EOS, Dash, Monero, Cardano, IOTA, and Bitcoin Cash, which is a fork of Bitcoin. What's a fork, you say? Well, it's technical. And lucky for you, you're about to get into some technicalities. So let's get started with an understanding of what exactly cryptocurrency is. What's up, Yap Bam? Being an entrepreneur and working remotely definitely has its perks. And I know a lot of you listening in are in the same boat as me. 
But do you really take advantage of being able to work from anywhere? I know I typically don't, but thankfully this past holiday, I finally decided to make use of my work flexibility for the first time ever. My boyfriend and I decided to pack up and leave to the West Coast to spend an entire month working from home in the sun. We got a super cute bungalow in Venice Beach with a fenced backyard. The change in scenery, the fresh air, and the slower pace to help me to inspire some really cool new ideas for my business. And honestly, I'm feeling really refreshed and ready to rock in 2024. And who helped me make these remote work dreams come true? It was Airbnb. And Airbnb has come in clutch for me time and time again. Whether it's finding the perfect Airbnb home for our three-day annual executive team get-together or booking a vacation where my extended family can fit all in one place, Airbnb always makes it a great experience. And you know me, I'm always thinking of my latest business venture and I've been begging my boyfriend to start hosting our place on Airbnb. And finally, we're gonna start. So many of my successful friends host on Airbnb and it's such an amazing way to generate passive income. So to start, we have a plan to start spending more time in Miami and we'll be hosting our place to earn some extra money when we're back on the East Coast. 2024 goals and I'll keep you updated. A lot of people don't realize that they might have an Airbnb right under their own noses. I was pretty surprised myself. You can Airbnb your place or spare room even if you're out of town for just a few days or weeks. You could do what I did and work remotely somewhere else and Airbnb your place to fund your trip. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That's airbnb.com slash host to find out how much your home is worth. Yeah, fam, I wanna talk about focus. When I started my LinkedIn Secrets Masterclass, I needed to focus on creating the best course possible. I didn't have time to worry about how to set up my website and collect payments. And that's why I set up my store on Shopify. (laughs) Launching App Academy through Shopify was one of the best decisions I've ever made. We made nearly $500,000 so far. And since I sell a course, that's pretty much pure profit. Are you ready to be young and profiting too? then launch your business with Shopify, the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, whether you're a side hustler, new entrepreneur, or rocking a multi-million dollar business. And it doesn't matter if you're selling scented soap or a marketing masterclass like me, Shopify helps you sell anything, anywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. And when it comes to e-commerce, Shopify turns online window shoppers into actual buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. We're talking 36% better on average compared to other platforms with features like abandoned cart campaigns, discount promo codes, and so much more. Fun fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, including huge brands like Thrive Cosmetics and Allbirds. No matter your stage, no matter if it's online or in-person, Shopify is always the right commerce platform for you. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash profiting, and that's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash profiting now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash profiting. Yeah, fam, I did a big thing recently. I rolled out benefits to my US employees. They now get healthcare and 401ks. And maybe this doesn't sound like a big deal to you, but it was surely a big deal to me because benefits were like, the boogeyman to me. I thought for sure we couldn't afford it. I thought that it was gonna be so complicated, so hard to set up, lots of risk involved. And in fact, so many of my star employees have left in the past 
citing benefits as the only reason why. And here I was thinking that we couldn't afford benefits when it's literally not that expensive at all and you actually split the cost between the employee and the employer. I had no idea. I found out on JustWorks. JustWorks has been a total lifesaver for me. We were using two other platforms for payroll, one for domestic in US, one for international. We had our HR guidelines and things like that, employee handbook on another site, and everything was just everywhere. Now everything's consolidated with JustWorks, a tried and tested employee management platform. You get automated payments, tax calculations, and withholdings with expert support anytime you need it. And on top of that, there's no hidden fees. You can leave all the boring stuff to JustWorks and just get to business. And with automatic time tracking, it has made managing my international hires a little bit more soothing for my soul that I know that they're actually working and they're tracking their time. I mean, it's really hard to manage remote employees. It's easy to get started right away. All you need is 30 minutes. You don't even have to be in front of your computer. You can just get started right on your phone. Take advantage of this limited time offer. Start your free month now at justworks.com slash profiting. Let JustWorks run your payroll so you don't have to. Start your free month now at justworks.com slash profiting. Yeah, so I, I think the, the most straightforward example is that cryptocurrency is a ledger. Uh, just like if you were doing your monthly billing or uh, anyone who does ledgers, like an accountant, and it's simply a store of money. So the, the general meaning of the cryptocurrency is something which is built on on blockchain technology requires special proof of transaction it might be proof of work or proof of stake or proof of, of something else and it's in some way open source okay so i'm about to really break this down the main notion behind blockchain is reaching a consensus in a decentralized way this is done via a distributed ledger that contains a record of all previous transactions. It's called a distributed ledger because the transactions are not stored in one central location. This is what makes blockchain revolutionary. The ledger or the blockchain is stored on every computer or every node that partakes in the network. So it's a database that exists out there and is replicated across hundreds of thousands of nodes or computers. And therefore, if you wanted to hack the blockchain, the Bitcoin blockchain, you'd have to hack hundreds of thousands of computers simultaneously, and that is effectively impossible. So that's part of the power of the blockchain. This is a key point of blockchains. They are designed to be immutable, and they record events and engrave them into this digital, unerodable rock. And once a piece of information goes in, you can depend on it never changing. This concept or quality of immutability is what makes blockchain different from regular files or databases where information can be edited or deleted at will. And in order for blockchain or a distributed ledger to work, the participants in the network need to collectively agree on the contents of this ledger. This is the job of something called a consensus mechanism or consensus algorithm. The first blockchain, Bitcoin, reaches consensus with proof of work. 
also known as mining. Proof of work is a requirement to solve a complicated mathematical puzzle in order to process a block of transactions and add it to the blockchain. Nodes, more commonly known as miners, compete to be the first to solve the problem that concerns a candidate block, and this can only be done through many attempts of trial and error, essentially guessing a large number at random. So miners take this mystery number along with data from the block and apply it to a cryptographic hash function. This hash function takes the data fed into it and in Bitcoin's case turns it into a unique 64 character string of numbers and letters, which serves as a potential answer to the problem. The miner who first solves the puzzle gets to place the next block on the blockchain and claim the rewards, which is given in the form of coins or transaction fees. So blockchain is that one block is built on top of another block. So all these computers around the world are keeping records of the same blockchain. They're keeping records of the same public ledger. So how blockchain works is that there are hundreds of computers hashing this and keeping this public record. And in the early days, let's say 2009, 2011, a regular computer could do this and actually win the blockchain. They could, they could win the, what they call the mining reward. And so all of these transactions, particularly for Bitcoin, but this is true of other cryptocurrencies, are stored on computers all around the world. And that's why it's called a peer-to-peer system, which is different than, let's say, the bank system. You know, I make a deposit, it's no good, or... Uh, the bank, for whatever reason, freezes my accounts. That is a, what they call in computer language, kind of like a master-slave relationship where only one person can do the writing. Whereas in a peer-to-peer blockchain, the peers do the writing. It should be noted that proof of work is very expensive to participate in, and it takes enormous amounts of electricity to solve these problems. Here's an alarming fact. A recent study from the science journal Joule claims that the Bitcoin network consumes 2.55 gigawatts of electricity per year, nearly the same amount consumed by Ireland. And if that's not shocking enough, the study also says that Bitcoin could someday consume 5% of the world's electricity. And because proof-of-work puzzles are designed to get more complicated as the network grows, it will require even more computational power as time goes on. At the present time, a Bitcoin miner is awarded 12.5 new coins for validating a transaction, almost $100,000, which is why mining farms are willing to pay for very expensive mining equipment and electricity costs to perform the calculations continuously, and even the users that don't win are expending computing power round the clock. In addition, mining pools have emerged where people team up to increase their chances of mining a new block and collect the reward, and these pools now control large portions of the Bitcoin blockchain. With Bitcoin, and this is really the paradox of Bitcoin, is that it's a decentralized currency mined by maybe five mining camps. Well, that's not altogether decentralized, right? Uh, um, it's almost, um, uh, dare I say, laughable. But if you, if you have a decentralized currency that's only being mined by very few groups, it doesn't cohere to what I think the Genesis block highlights and more importantly, the Satoshi Nakamoto vision. To solve issues like these, a new consensus algorithm emerged called proof of stake, and it's used by large crypto networks like Dash and the second largest cryptocurrency, Ethereum, is transitioning from proof of work to a proof of stake model. 
Proof of stake is an alternative way of verifying and validating the transaction or block. It is still an algorithm, and the basic idea is that letting everyone compete against each other with mining is just wasteful. Instead, proof of stake uses an election process where one node is randomly chosen to validate the next block. Many claim that proof of stake is a better alternative because it achieves the same distributed consensus at a lower cost and uses considerably less energy. In addition, setting up a node for proof of stake is less expensive compared to proof of work. You don't need expensive mining equipment, and this encourages more people to set up a node, making the network more decentralized and also more secure. Oh yeah, some small differences in the terminology here. Proof of stake has no miners, but instead has validators. And it doesn't let people mine blocks, but instead they forge new blocks. Validators aren't chosen completely randomly. To become a validator, a node has to deposit a certain amount of coins into the network as a stake. The size of the stake determines the chances of the validator being chosen to forge the next block. I see other algorithms that use a lot less electricity, are more efficient, and tend to be fairer. So it's called the proof of stake algorithm, often seen as capital P, lowercase o, capital S. And within the proof of stake algorithm, they reward people for staking their coins, which is very different than Bitcoin, which is the proof of work algorithm, often seen as capital P, lowercase o, uppercase w. And that is only the miners get the rewards. So to summarize, each blockchain has a set of rules or consensus mechanism by which transactions are validated on the network, like proof of work or proof of stake. And these rules are agreed upon by the miners themselves. So finally, to get back to what a hard fork is, sometimes miners for a coin decide to change the rules for validating a block. And that's when a coin splits and the modified version becomes a fork of the original coin. Some miners decide to mine on the new rule set, and some continue on the old rule set. Bitcoin Cash is an example of a fork. There's more nuances to chain splits, but I'm not going to try to go there. Is your head spinning? I honestly think that's normal. Blockchain technology can be really hard to understand, and core concepts tend to get lost amongst the complexity of non-essential detail. And one of the first mistakes I think people make with trying to figure out this thing called the blockchain and Bitcoin is trying to figure out the technology. And I think the more interesting question is why people are so excited about the blockchain and about Bitcoin. As of today, the cryptocurrency is a new asset class. Same as, you know, think about ages ago, when, for example, the shares were invented, you know, you have to think in a new way. What is it? Same goes with crypto. This is just the new way of thinking about things. You don't have to actually understand it, how it works. You need to understand how you can use it. And it doesn't mean that you need to make in-depth research of who created, why it has value, and what kind of protocol was used. People use Amazon on their phone, they use the Google on their phone. They have no understanding how it works, but they still take benefit of it. What I always say is, you know, blockchain technology, all you have to think of it is all the, all the blockchain is, is a database, a ledger, but it, as opposed to working centrally on one centralized server, it's decentralized on many different nodes and machines and it works in a totally different way. But it's much like a buddy of mine um, on LinkedIn stated a while ago that if you 
if I got into telling you how microwave worked and the fundamentals of that, you'd probably never use one again. And most people, actually, when you talk about the internet, how many people in the world know how the internet works? If I asked you to explain exactly how Instagram worked and the fundamentals of it, you wouldn't be able to explain it. Not many of us would. So really what it's all about is this thing's going to sort of slowly come underneath us like the internet did. And to understand the the fundamentals of it, that you're moving from a centralized way of working to a decentralized way of working, that's really all you need to know. And the fact that it's going to give you a secure way of trading value. Okay, so you've got a baseline of the technology, and that's all you really need. Unless you're interested in benefiting from cryptocurrency through mining or forging, or even launching a new altcoin yourself. For the majority of us, we need to just focus on the outcome of blockchain and cryptocurrency, and how they will change the world. So can you talk about why cryptocurrency and blockchain is important for young professionals and millennials to begin to study and get familiar with? Like, why is that important for them to start interacting with this new technology? Young and profiters, my company, Yap Media, is growing fast. We're onboarding client after client. We're landing a ton of huge deals. And my team just can't keep up. I knew we needed to hire new employees to support my team, but I didn't want to waste my time sifting through candidates who aren't good fits for my company. That's why I use Indeed, the ultimate hiring platform. Indeed makes it easy for me to find great talent fast. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality candidates compared to other job sites. And I don't have to spend hours looking for these great candidates. Indeed's matching engine sends me a list of quality candidates who meet my job requirements the moment I post a job. I can also message candidates, screen their profiles and resumes, send them skills assessments, and schedule interviews with them all from Indeed. It's really an all-in-one platform. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to give your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash profiting. Just go to indeed.com slash profiting right now to support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash profiting. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Young and profiters, AI is changing how we do business. At Yap Media, we use AI to do things like create AI voice models of my voice in case I get sick. And we also use it for basic things like transcribing captions and our meetings. This AI and algorithm-infused world is awesome, but it does dramatically increase all the choices and decisions we have to make in business on a daily basis. Everything is just so much more complex than it used to be. We have to be sure to analyze our data to make the right decisions while also avoiding assumptions and cognitive bias. Ultimately, we all could use some better critical thinking skills moving into the future. And we can look no further than to Economist Education. They just rolled out a new critical thinking course But it's different from other programs out there on the topic because they focus on today's AI environment and they use real case studies that help you challenge your narrow views and avoid groupthink. Economist Education has two to six week online programs covering everything from international relations to writing and sustainability, and they're made specifically for executives and entrepreneurs. Their programs feature experts and senior editors from The Economist. Actually, one of my favorite authors, Daniel Kahneman, who wrote Thinking Fast and Slow, is one of the guest speakers in the critical thinking course that I just took. When you sign up for one of their programs, you also get a three-month digital subscription to The Economist to support your learning. Economist education is a great way to stay ahead in your career, and I've got a special offer to get you started. 
Get 15% off any course from Economist Education, only available by going to my exclusive URL, education.economist.com slash profiting. That's education.economist.com slash profiting. And enter my code profiting at registration. This offer ends March 31st, so don't wait. For 15% off, go now to education.economist.com slash profiting and use code profiting at checkout. Sure, I think particularly for millennials, your generation will be inheriting the folly of previous generations. The amount of debt that your generation is inheriting is significant. And so this opportunity, and I think you know every generation has this opportunity where there's significant wealth creation. So I saw this during my career, early career in the internet, where people became millionaires and billionaires. I mean, that was in Internet 1.0. Uh, by the time Internet 2.0 comes around, because of things like network effect, Facebook has a type of network effect that Yahoo only dreamt about in 1998, or Google had a type of network effect where they basically were able to catalog the entire world, right? Whether it be Google Maps or information on the web, those types of opportunities have kind of come and gone. So particularly, I think why millennials should be interested in cryptocurrency is one, the crushing debt that sadly this generation will inherit. Two, and probably more importantly, it's this wealth generation opportunity of your generation. Right. If one were alive in the late 1870s, I would say railroads, you know, get into railroads, right? Or get into banking, right? Uh, try to um, figure out what John Pierpoint Morgan is doing. Or if one were, if it was through the 70s, I would talk about the personal computer. But now, as we're, you know, approaching 2020, this wealth generation opportunity is so salient. So, how do you think cryptocurrency will change the world? I mean, goodness me. I have to be careful when I do these podcasts because I don't want to get shot somehow by a uh, like a secret agent. <laughs> I'm sure I won't. But you know, the, we've had a way of working for many, many years, probably hundreds of years, which is a centralized way of working. We're all very controlled by the system, and that's the biggest stranglehold this breaks. You know, guys who've had all the power have had it too good for too long, and and I see cryptocurrency as an uprising. And this leads on to the question about helping society. I mean, you look at the world we live in and how much wealth there is in the world. It's just unfair. It doesn't work. The system does not work. We still have poverty. We still have people starving. I feel like the reason why Wall Street and like bankers are so afraid of blockchain is because everything is going to be so transparent that you will not be able to create new derivatives or, or like create default swaps like in which caused the mortgage crisis or which or the dot-com crisis. So each time we had like depression or like stagnation or like the financial crisis, it, it was because of the influence of those major players. And the reason why it happened, because nobody could control it. Everything was happening behind the closed doors. And even if you have the account in this bank, even if you know how these financial markets work and what type of assets you can trade or invest, you're still under the risk that bankers are going to use your money five, six times more with offshore accounts or like they're not going to audit their company properly and you will not be confident that they have funds or not. 
And if you're talking about blockchain, to control all these processes like behind the closed doors in the open way. So everybody's going to know what's happening no matter what. I mean, I live in America. We live in America. We have banking systems, access to credit. People don't have this. And what really got me into, I've always, you know, for the last few years, been so diligent about my cryptocurrency, but really what made it so compelling for me was last December, December of 2016, when India took out most of its currency. They took out what in America would be the equivalent of all ones, all their fives, all their tens, and all their twenties. And they basically just went to high note bills, fifties and hundreds. But that's this idea in economics, which we call Gresham's law. And Gresham's law is that the good money goes out of the economy. And that's exactly what happened in India. The Indian government gave seven hours notice. Basically, it would be the equivalent of, of our president saying, okay, we're no longer going to accept cash except for 50s and 100s. All that money will go out of the economy almost directly. And all those small bills are now worthless. And millions of people suffered. I'm sure thousands or hundreds of thousands uh, suffered greatly and many died. And that made me think about how important it is uh, what we're doing in cryptocurrency is that we're providing a counter narrative to a traditional banking system. We still have people dropping bombs on Syria, which is due to, you know, political sentiment and all this sort of thing. And I'm a great believer that blockchain and the, the movement of blockchain and cryptocurrency is one that can wipe out lots of this corruption and lots of this sort of lack of integrity and unfairness that exists in the world. Whether or not this actually happens, I don't know. But I think in terms of a better society, you know, there's your altruistic, there's your sort of, you know, best case scenario for me. But actually, if you look at it from a, us living in a Western world and going to work every day and living an honest life and doing what we do, I think what's going to happen going forward is that instead of people like Facebook and Amazon and Google and Microsoft and the big Silicon Valley companies monetizing our existence and monetizing our data and controlling that side of how we exist, I think that's going to change. So in the future, I see a future where there will be a version of Facebook. I think Facebook will be gone in 10 years completely. We'll sort of say, remember Facebook like MySpace. And there'll be a version of Facebook that'll be very much a decentralized version where we're all on there. We can exchange value with each other. So I can be in a restaurant and I will tag myself in the restaurant and I will get some tokens for doing that. So we'll all be able to monetize our existence in a better way. We'll be able to use our spare hours where we're a lawyer and we want to give two or three hours a week extra work and we'll be able to tokenize that. So we're moving to this sort of decentralized, tokenized way of working, but I think it's power to the people in that we'll all be able to create value within our own existence. And that's really powerful. Thank you for listening to Young and Profiting Podcast, where anything goes if it makes you grow. This concludes part one of the Internet of Value. Catch part two next week, where we'll take a closer look at the other players in the market aside from Bitcoin and the considerations to keep in mind when looking to participate in the market. Young and Profiting Podcast is for informational purposes only. It should not be considered financial advice. Conduct your own due diligence or consult a licensed financial advisor before making your investment decisions. Yap is supported by a wonderful team. 
Big thanks to our audio engineer, John Sparks, music by Harry Fraud, and assistant producer, Timothy Tan. Follow Yap on Instagram at Young and Profiting and Twitter at Yap underscore podcast. And check out our website at youngandprofiting.com for show notes and additional references. Be sure to subscribe or follow us wherever you enjoy listening to your podcast. See you next week for part two of the Internet of Value. This is Hala Taha signing off.